Hey, this is Diamante, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. All right, so <laughs> welcome. I appreciate you taking the time to join me here. And I wanted to jump right in and talk about the, uh, the Spanish version of Unlovable. I got to listen to it while prepping for the show, and I think it's, well, it's beautiful, first off, but it's a little bit different from your previous stuff. And I was wondering how it, difficult it was to translate to Spanish, and if you felt like you lost maybe some of the vibe, or it was you were worried about keeping the vibe. Definitely worried about keeping the vibe. It's really hard to translate a song into an entirely new language and keep that same sentiment, so I have to give so much credit to Hector Crisantes, who is a writer-producer that I work with, and he helped me translate every single line and still keep that meaning. And him and I would, you know, spit back and forth, like, what about this? But actually, and then I would say, this is what I'm really trying to say in this part. And he would say, oh, okay, gotcha. So this is how we'll do it. And recording it was an entirely other beast. (laughs) He's very, very particular with accents, how to pronounce the words correctly, because although I speak Spanish, I I don't live in Mexico. I don't speak it every day. Um, And if I go long times without speaking in Spanish, sometimes I lose it a little like the the perfect diction or the perfect way to say something. So every line, meticulous, meticulous, I would record it like five times until I absolutely nailed it. But I also, you you talked about the meaning translating, but what about like, I mean, the melodies have to be that's a whole ball game, right? Fitting yeah. the words into the melodies because they're different. Yeah, we had to literally match the syllables of each word in Spanish to somewhat as closely as possible match the syllables in the English language so that the melody could sound very similar. Right. That's interesting. There's a whole process going in there. So, yeah. so you're getting ready to head out on tour. I believe it's like a week from today, right? Or a week from yesterday? Yeah. yeah How so excited sad. are you? I'm I'm obviously excited because I haven't done a full tour since 2019. So it's been a long time, but I'm also nervous because you don't know what to expect anymore. I mean, touring pre-COVID was always kind of, I don't, it's, I don't know what to expect. It's right. going to be something new to experience. So add that on top to everything that's going on. Right. And it's definitely uh, nerve wracking, but I'm choosing to look at it as I haven't ever been able to really tour the album American Dream. So this is my chance to do it. And I'm just going to go for it and keep a positive attitude that everything's going to go well. So a, bu- a bunch of questions from there. Do you, uh, are you doing anything different to prepare for this than you did in the past, considering our situations? And what's the, uh, you must have some sort of rigid protocol on the road as well, right? Yeah. I mean, every venue has their own set of protocols, which you have to follow. So you have to take that into account. And uh, I have my live touring band, but with everything happening now, you know, it's been a lot of like, uh, oh, this person can do the tour, but this person can't do the tour. This person wants to do the tour, but this person doesn't want to do the tour, understandably. So it's been a lot of like shuffling and and logistically getting things together that I didn't really have to think about pre-COVID when it came to touring. So it's definitely a different preparation and different mindset. Are you, um, I know you, you said you're nervous. What do you think it's going to be like out there? I mean, imagine stepping on a stage is going to be an adrenaline rush. And it's, I guess for the fans as well, right? Because yeah. we've all not been in shows for however long, two years now. Yeah. I think 
and I know this because I did just a few festival shows back in September mm-hmm. and I was able to in first person firsthand see what crowds are like now and they are hungry for live music they are so stoked to be there they're so excited they're uh I think uh, fans and artists like we're now grateful that we even get to do this that we get to play that we get to go to shows so i think the energy is going to be fantastic and i can't wait to see old faces that i recognize and new faces sure. because it's been so long uh, you mentioned you know american dream was out in 2021 um what's it been like sitting i imagine first of all I imagine it was written during the pandemic or somewhere in there but what's it also like sitting on that for a year and dying to just get out there and support it Well, that's one of the reasons why I released the album back in May. A good chunk of it was written during quarantine, but I have had those songs written all the way since uh, 2018, 2019. I did a lot of writing sessions, like a few songs were all the way back since then. So originally the entire album was supposed to come out in 2020 and then everything happened. And I said, okay, how about I release one song at a time as they're getting created, which I've never done before. And that was cool to do because it's not like I had this whole package already done. And then I, you know, uh, picked, okay, this, these are the singles. I just released it as they came. And uh, it came to a point where I sort of realized we don't know how much longer this is going to last. And I can't just not put out this music because A, I really believe in it. B, I really love it. And see, I think people need new music right now. So all those reasons combined led me to putting out the album back out in May. So I think you touched on a couple of things there that we talk about a lot on the show that uh, usually my partners here, but um, the music business has evolved, right? You have to be doing the single every four to six weeks as opposed to a full length, which you may or may not do somewhere down the road. Very different than I'm used to, but I guess that's, you know, my son's generation. They just want <laughs> to digest one song at a time and move on. Yeah, it's very different. And I think streaming has a lot to do with that too, because of the algorithms, the more you release, the better it is for, for numbers, for streaming. So I understand why uh, artists release music the way they do. And for me, it was also a way to kind of extend the album because everything was really uncertain. So I didn't know, is it a good time to put out everything right now or should I hold off? And it was a nice way to sort of do a little bit of both at the same time, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. What is, uh, when you're writing, is there something you want uh, your fans to take away after listening to uh, one of your records? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think American Dreams specifically as an album was very personal. It was very autobiographical for me. Every song on that album really happened. They're my stories. It's like, I call it my sonic diary. So whenever I put out a song that's really personal, like ghost myself or unlovable, and I sing about topics that I'm ashamed to talk about, or I haven't fully realized until now, or it's something that's been kind of eating away at me. And then people hear these songs and they say, wow, I have felt the same exact way. And no one has ever put it into words like you did, or you helped me get over this feeling, or you helped me understand this about myself. That is ultimately what I want people to take away from my music. I want it to help them in some way. Like music has always helped me. Yeah, music is cathartic, and I imagine there's a whole bunch of catharsis going into your writing. But before you answer that, also, I imagine it's quite vulnerable as well, right? Do you ever worry that you've put too much into it, or do you ever have to hold back and say, I can't do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. When I was writing my first album, I was very much with the mindset, like, I want to come off really confident, really cool, and really strong, and that's it. Right. And my producer, who also did American Dream, told me, hey, you know, some of the best songwriters are the people who go to those vulnerable spots and write about the things that make them really uncomfortable, and maybe they don't want people to know. And so I was like, okay. And I took that with a grain of salt on the first album, but I really went for it on that second album. And I really did treat it like a diary. And now when I write songs, I, I'm not too afraid to go there because I know that that's really what's going to resonate with people when they right. listen to the music. Yeah, absolutely. So I have to ask, um, how did you get in, in contact or how did you end up working with Howard Benson? Not a very small name in the business. No. So that all started when I signed to my former record label. I was 18, 19 years old. And they said, there's uh, this producer, Howard Benson, and we're going to put you with this guy and you're going to make your first album with him and have fun. Go for it. (laughs) And I remember meeting him back then and I went to the studio by myself and I just, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the guy who, you know, worked with my chemical romance and Hailstorm and Kelly Clarkson and all these bands that I grew up listening to. So it was a really, really cool experience. Was he, uh, was he a nice guy to work with? Yeah. Yeah. He's become like a mentor figure to me now because it's been like six, seven years now at this point that we've been working together and the first time the label was involved, this last album was really just me, him, and Neil from Three Days Grace. We all partnered up to make this album that I released independently. So it was a lot more collaborative. I really got to learn a lot from Howard. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great working with both of them. So self-release, so you're pretty hands-on in this bad boy. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Like every single part of that album, I put my heart and soul into it, whether it was the music itself, the artwork, the packaging, the release strategy. I was up in all of it. You have any formal training or you kind of just learned by the CD pants? A lot of it was just, you know, real life experience of being with a label. I interned at a record label actually two years ago and I got to see how they do stuff. And I also went to uh, college and I studied business and I applied a lot of those things that I learned in marketing classes to this release. And I was, uh, I was planning this release and going to college at the exact same time. So it was really cool to do both in real time. That's great. So you kids stay in school because you learned a lot and you're able to apply it to your real life. <laughs> Pretty wonderful. A little yeah. public service announcement there. Stay in school. <laughs> do it. It's worth it. <laughs> um, oh. I'm actually, uh, I mean, I'm always writing new music, but I'm already in the process of making the next thing because- Are you really writing already? Yeah. (laughs) I just, it's something I have to do. I'm in the bathtub one day or I'm in my room and an idea comes to me and I'm like, I have to go record this right now. You carry a recorder with you? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I do the voice memo thing, but I always tell myself like, if there's an idea that's really bugging me in the back of my head, I take it as a sign. I'm like, okay, go to the studio, actually record this demo and just have it. And who knows, maybe it'll end up on the next album. Maybe it won't, but at least you recorded the idea before it left. <laughs> right. How many of the songs left over or were left over after American Dream that might make their way into this release in some way or another? A ton, actually. There were a lot of songs I wrote for American Dream that maybe didn't, 
fit that album, but could fit a future album or could just be released on its own. But there's a lot of stuff I have that's just sitting in uh, hard drives and archives and one day. One day. Um, so you're heading out on tour next week. And if you want to give us your socials, uh, can you drop those for us? Yeah. So everything is basically, this is Diamante, except Twitter. Twitter is at Diamante Band. And if you go to thisisdiamante.com, it'll take you to everything, uh, tickets, merchandise, uh, music, videos, the YouTube videos. So everything is pretty much, this is Diamante. And do you stay pretty active in your social media wise? I mean, I guess you have to. Yeah, I do actually, because I enjoy it. I love talking to the fans and uh, there's a there's a Facebook group called Diamante's Diamonds, and I'm always checking in there to see what everyone's saying and, <laughs> and talking to them. And uh, it makes me happy and it makes me feel less, especially during the pandemic, it made me feel less isolated knowing I had some line of communication with them, even if I couldn't see them in person. Right. So I know I said this was the last one, but if you don't mind, I've got one more. Where do you see, it's a big question, and I don't know the answer myself, but where do you see the music business evolving to? I mean, it's obviously has to change and reinvent itself. Like we were talking about the singles, but even the whole live model and this whole thing, cause there's not going to be enough venues for everybody or enough money for every ticket. How do you see it turning out? I don't know. I really, I think during 2020 and 2021, we saw a lot of virtual live stream performances. I think there's going to still be a huge uptake in those, um, I mean, for me, it's not the same thing, but no, maybe they have to in be the done future, right. it'll be some like, yeah, some like AI thing. I don't know, but I think that's the future probably. That's interesting because, you know, I've saw a bunch of those live shows or those live streams over the last two years and only a handful. I mean, I could probably count them on one hand were like absolutely killer because of the budget They're and hard. the time. Yeah, I mean, the budget and everything you need to put into them. Yeah. It's like out of reach for, you know, your average touring band, I think. Yeah, I did too back in 2020. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that putting on a live stream concert is the same effort, if not more than putting on a real full on live tour, but it's just for one evening. So it's a lot of work. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, there's various qualities and unless you're doing it really well, I don't think it translates at all. You're better off just staying home. (laughs) It's definitely easier. (laughs) Yeah, way easier, right? Hope that wasn't too bad. No, it was awesome. Did we cover everything you wanted to cover? Yeah, we did. We covered the the touring coming up, the new songs. So yeah, we got everything. Usually my partner's here and we kind of just wander and see where it goes. So as long as we covered everything, we're good. Yeah, we got it. Thank you so much for having me. Be well. Good luck on tour and stay safe. All right, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.